Well, good evening, everyone. Um, it's great to be back in uh, the book of Acts together again this evening. Um, if you've got a Bible, do open back up to Acts chapter 10. We'll be working all the way through it uh, this evening. Hopefully, it won't feel too much like a marathon. Um, as we turn there, though, here is what we're going to see this evening. We are going to see no entry, stop barriers being completely smashed through. Long forged boundaries crossed over. We might not feel it the same today as 2,000 years ago, but Acts chapter 10 and the events that happen in it are some of the most significant in the whole of the Bible. Here in Acts chapter 10 this evening, we are going to see God saying this loud and clear to us, all of us here. The good news of Jesus is not just for one particular group of people, for the Jews, namely, but the good news of Jesus is for all. And the reality is that that can't be much more relevant for us this evening. Acts 10, I believe, is here in our Bibles to give us confidence, to give us clarity, and to give us certainty that, yes, the good news of Jesus really is open for you and for me this evening. No matter our cultural background, no matter our religious background, no matter our ethnic background, no matter anything. Remember, Luke is writing this book of Acts along with his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, to this man called Theophilus, who it appears would have been a Gentile, that is, not a Jew, part of God's people of the Old Testament. And he's been writing, Luke's been writing to him all about Jesus. But even as Theophilus has heard all of these amazing things about Jesus, Here's a question that I think he must have still had in the back of his mind. Can I really know with certainty, as Luke wants him to, that Jesus is for me too? That I too can come to Jesus and find peace and forgiveness? Is that really for me? And as I said, into this question, Acts chapter 10 speaks a resounding yes. Up to this point in Acts, we've seen the gospel continuing to spread wider and wider. Last time in Acts chapter 9, we saw it reaching Lydda and then going out to the sea, to the coast Joppa. But could it really continue to spread then, even crossing over the Jew-Gentile divide as it spreads north to a place like Caesarea? As I say, to do that would mean crossing over what John Stott describes as the impassable gulf which yawned in those days between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so if this gulf is going to be crossed over, this barrier is going to be broken down, it's going to have to be a work of God. And that's also what I think we see Acts chapter 10 is, a work of God from start to finish. It is all directed and ordained by God so that Cornelius, a Gentile, would come to believe in Jesus. And so that Peter, a Jew, would be willing to go tell Cornelius about Jesus in the first place. And then even be willing to welcome him into the family of God alongside him. 
So let's get into the passage and see how God does this, begins to break down these barriers and demonstrates that Jesus really is for all and is all. And to do this, um, he is first gonna, God's going to first need to prepare the people who are going to be involved for this. We see this first off, if you look with me at verses 1 to 8, where we see that God prepares Cornelius, a Gentile, to believe in Jesus. It's clear from verse 1 that this man, Cornelius, is a Gentile, where he lives, Caesarea, his name, and then his job as a Roman centurion, give that away. And yet we see almost immediately that God has been at work in this man's life, don't we? Working in his heart as he prepares him to put his faith in Jesus. Look at verse 2. What other explanation can we give except that God's been at work in this man's life? We read there that Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Somewhere along the line, Cornelius has encountered the God of Israel. And God has drawn him towards himself so that he now fears God and seems to live as such. Sure, of course, we can speak here, can't we, of Cornelius' own seeking of God in view. But we have to remember what else we read in the Bible, like in Psalm 14 and Romans 3, that teaches us that no, no one really does truly seek God. So even the spark of faith that we see here in Cornelius, we first of all have to attribute that back to God, don't we? As he prepares Cornelius to come to faith in Jesus. And God doesn't stop there in his preparation of Cornelius. Look with me now to verses 3 to 8, because we also see that God now clearly directs Cornelius. In verse 3, we read that um, God sends an angel. The angel of God comes to Cornelius and speaks to him. Cornelius' prayers have reached God, and so now God is going to direct him to what to do next, which is to send men to Joppa, isn't it, to, to bring Simon Peter from there. And notice the detail here. The Lord pretty much gives the equivalent, doesn't he, of a full postal address. Not 1 Hope Street, Belfast, BT 12 5EE, but Joppa, house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. There's not a lot to be confused by in that, is there? God's direction is clear. And then we read in verse 7 that Cornelius does exactly what the angel has told him to. He calls two of his servants and a devout soldier, tells them what's happened, and sends them on the way. But even that, I think, isn't the end of the way we see God preparing Cornelius to believe in Jesus in this passage as this Jewish-Gentile barrier is going to be smashed down. I think we also see that God then also makes Cornelius expectant, ready to hear about Jesus. No wonder, I guess you might say, after this angel's come to him and terrified him. Something big must be happening here. And we can see that God only grows that expectancy for Cornelius. If you flick with me to verses 25 to 33. 
there in those verses, we see that Cornelius, realizing something big is happening here, has called together all his relatives and close friends. So that verse 27, we read that there are many persons gathered and after Peter arrives, Cornelius, doesn't he, he throws himself down at Peter's feet. Again, he seems to know, doesn't he, this is a big deal. Peter coming here. He worships Peter almost as if he were God himself. Peter, of course, corrects him rightly. But then if you look with me to verses 30 to 33, I think we see Cornelius' expectancy on show again. He's just recounted to Peter what led for him to send, uh, P- send for Peter. And he concludes in verse 33. And just listen to these incredible words. Verse 33. Here's how he says. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Here is a man who is expectant. He's gathered all his friends and his family together. He is ready and waiting. What is it that God is going to say to him through this man, Peter? Again, this is all signs of God at work, isn't it? By nature, our hearts are dull to the things of God. And yet here, Cornelius, his heart has been stirred up. It's been warmed. He is ready to hear God's word, even as a Gentile. Now, we're only just really getting going in this passage, so I don't want to stop here for too long. But here are a couple things, I think, for us to take away from what we've seen so far. First off, if you are a Christian here this evening, here is something for you to give thanks to God for. His prompting, directing, and guiding of you so that you would be ready to hear about and put your faith in Christ. All of that is God's work in your life, and you can give him thanks for that. And of course, the incredible thing is that as Christians, God's guiding and working us in leading us to Christ, well, it doesn't stop there. He promises to go on working in our hearts, directing us. And most of all, he does that, doesn't he? by speaking to us through his word. Looking at verse 33 there again, I wonder how differently we would read our Bibles if every time we open them up, we were to say something like Cornelius does here. I'm here, expectantly, in the presence of God to hear all that you would say to me, Lord. And as we come on a Sunday to hear God's word, I'm here expectantly in the presence of God to hear all that you will say to me, Lord. Let's ask for God's help, that that would be increasingly true for us, that we would be expectant, ready, waiting for what it is that God will be teaching us day by day. And if you're not a Christian here this evening, Here's a prayer that even now you could maybe pray to God. Just like Cornelius prayed to God, here's something that you could ask. Even tonight, perhaps. Lord, if you're out there, speak to me too. Just as we're going to see you spoke to Cornelius through Peter, speak to me 
tonight through your word. It's a bold prayer, but one I trust that as we see this passage together will be answered as we see the good news of Jesus, of peace and forgiveness. So that's the first way we see God at work in our passage, breaking down this Jew-Gentile barrier. God preparing Cornelius to believe in Jesus. But Cornelius, of course, isn't the only one who needs to be prepared. Peter, too, is going to need significant preparation if he's going to be willing to cross this barrier himself, to cross this divide. So now in verses 9 to 29, let's see how God prepares Peter to call this Gentile, Cornelius, to believe in Jesus. Look back to verse 9 with me if you've got a Bible. We're going to see here, as we look at this, that God's preparation follows a similar pattern um, for Peter that that it did for Cornelius. First off, verses 9 to 23, God works in Peter's heart, showing him that nothing and no one is unclean. God does this, first of all, through this quite strange vision that we read about in verses 10 to 16. Look there with me, and we see that Peter, he's on the housetop praying. And while waiting for some food to eat, he's got hungry, he falls into a trance and sees this great sheet descending from heaven. And on it are all kinds of animals, reptiles, birds, Now, we're not told exactly which animals or reptiles or birds these are, but we know from how Peter responds that at least some of these must have been unclean to Jews, animals that Jews would have been forbidden from eating. Look, look what Peter says there in verse 14. By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. To which again the voice speaks and says, "What God has made, un- what God has made clean, do not call common." And verse sixteen, this happened three times. Again, God making crystal clear. This is no one-off crazy dream, Peter. This is me speaking. Now I think there are two ways. Here, that just as for Cornelius, God is beginning to work in Peter's heart through this vision, challenging his prejudice almost, his previous way of thinking. Peter doesn't understand it at first. If you look at verse 17, we read that he is inwardly perplexed. But we see that this vision is just beginning to show Peter that he could perhaps now begin to associate more closely with Gentiles. See, by clearly declaring that no food is unclean, God is opening the door for Peter, literally, now to go and be with Gentiles, receive hospitality from them, even share food with them. Where before, doing anything like that would have made him ceremonially unclean. And then I think God, by the Spirit also begins to show Peter that this truth, that there is now no unclean animal, also can be extended out to people, to formerly unclean Gentiles. We see this particularly if you look with me at what the Holy Spirit says to Peter in verses 19 and 20, just after the men arrive from Cornelius. 
The spirit says to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I've sent them. Now, the key words there, I think, are those ones I emphasized, without hesitation. And I think, actually, perhaps the translation that maybe you've got in your footnotes there is even clearer. The original word here, translated hesitation, is differentiation. Differentiation between people. So the Spirit is saying to Peter, rise, go down, and accompany these people without making any distinction. Namely, don't make a distinction between you, a Jew, and them, Gentiles. And this is certainly the message that Peter receives loud and clear through this vision and the Spirit's words. Not only do we see him radically here welcome in these Gentiles to be his guests in verse 23, but then also if you look with me to verses 28 and 29, we see Peter, he arrives at Cornelius' house and here's what he says. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. It may have taken him a while to catch up with just how radical this is of what God has shown him. But God has been at work in Peter's heart. Now Peter knows that not only nothing, but also no one should be considered unclean. God is breaking down these long-forged barriers, isn't he? That boundary that seemed like here in that book of Acts, it might just stop the spread of the gospel any further. As part of this whole scene, just like for Cornelius, we see it all the way through, don't we? God's direction, again, of Peter. The Spirit speaking and making it plain what Peter should do. But then also, see with me that it seems like God also makes Peter expectant, just like he made Cornelius. Look at verse 23 with me. We read there that the next day Peter rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Now, why did Peter bring these fellow Jewish Christian brothers with him? After all, the men had only asked for Peter. Well, looking at it, I'm not sure it was just for the crack, as you guys would say, right? Not just for some company for the journey. No, I think the main reason is this. Peter knows something big is happening here. And what he wants is he wants others there to witness this too, to witness this breaking down of boundaries that seems to be going on. And we see something of Peter's expectancy there in the end of verse 29 too. He asks suddenly, what is it? Why have you sent for me? God is preparing the way for the gospel to break through this Jew-Gentile divide. God has sent an angel. He's spoken to Peter through the Spirit. No wonder they are expectant. This gospel is going to go out to the ends of the earth. And we're just seeing the start of it here. 
Now, what we're seeing here in Acts 10 is, of course, a one-off moment in history, a huge moment in God's salvation plan. God is preparing the way for Gentiles to come to faith in Christ. And as I say, as I said at the beginning, this should give us confidence this evening and certainty. This is no accidental event that happened 2,000 years ago that meant that some little Jewish sort of based, originated language or religion, sorry, overspilled into the world. No, this is God's work. This is God's doing. He is declaring here in Acts chapter 10, once and for all, that all, including you and me this evening, can now come to him through Jesus. After all, as Steve read about at the beginning in Psalm 117 and elsewhere in the Old Testament, this was always God's plan. This is no mistake. And as we see this initial huge Jew-Gentile barrier being broken down here in Acts 10, here then is also the other thing. This all happened in Acts 10. Also that many more similar events would happen again and again and again through history. See, just as Cornelius and Peter were expectant we too can be expectant this evening because God is still at work. He is in the same business of calling people to himself, just like Cornelius here. I wonder which of your friends or colleagues or course mates or family members God is right now working in the hearts of, preparing the soil to receive God's word. Let's then, each of us, be ready to listen, like Peter, to hear God's direction and prompting to speak to them about Jesus too. We see here in Acts 10 that God is building his church. We can be expectant that God is doing that today too, even through us. The door of salvation is now open wide to all. Let's pray for and take opportunities to share that so that many poor people will come through that door of salvation in Christ. So it's not been completely in chronological order, but here we've reached verse 33, if you're trying to track with where we are. Peter is in Cornelius' house, with Cornelius now and many other people gathered around expectantly. So what does Peter say? What does he say to Cornelius? Well, pure and simple, we see Peter call Cornelius, this Gentile, to believe in Jesus. Let's look at the details here um, from verse 34 onwards. Verses 34 and 35, well, they pick back up on all that we've just been seeing, all that Peter's come to understand through the Lord's guidance, that God now shows no no partiality. That is, all Jew and Gentile alike are as equally, well, they're equally as accountable to God for their sin, but also for Jew and Gentile alike. Those who do come to him in the right way, those who fear him and do what is right, living a life of faith, well, they are acceptable to God. 
And as Peter says this, I think he is, what he's doing here is he opening the door. He's opening the door. We've already been told here, haven't we, that Cornelius feared God and, and did really great things, it seems. But that isn't saying, this isn't saying here that simply because of that he is now right before God. No, see, a right fear of God that makes us acceptable to God is one that involves putting our trust in Jesus. And that's what Peter goes on to explain from verse 36 onwards. Look there with me. We see first in verse 36 that the gospel of peace through Jesus is for all. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of all. Look at what Peter says. As for the word that God sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. This is a massive statement that Peter's making here. One that I think each of us can rejoice in this evening. See, Jesus didn't just come to give peace to Israel, to be Lord over the Jews. No, he came as Lord of all. And that means he came as Lord of you and of me this evening. And if he came to be Lord of all, then all can now hear and receive the good news of peace that he is holding, holding out to us. If we will accept him as Lord in our lives. Listen, Peter says to Cornelius, I see now that you too can hear and receive the good news of Jesus. So let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about it, what Jesus has done. Because in the end, Peter says, it is all about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. Glance with me at how Jesus centered the rest of what Peter says is. Verse 37, he tells us about John's baptism. Why? It points to Jesus. Verse 38 God has anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then we read how Jesus went about doing good, serving those around him, healing, overcoming the work of the devil. Verse 39, Peter says, listen, I'm not making this up. These aren't myths of some kind. We saw it. And of course, he also saw what happened next. The end of verse 39 there. Jesus' death on the cross. That wasn't the end though. Verse 40, these great hope-filled words we see in the Bible. But God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and made him appear again. Says Peter, appearing to us. And, And Peter says he really was alive. Verse 41, we ate and we drank with him. And now, says Peter in verse 42, here is what our life is about. Preaching and telling people about this man, about this Jesus. Witnessing to him, witnessing, testifying that he is the one who is appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And here then is where the peace comes in, because that in itself is kind of scary, isn't it? Jesus, as Lord of all, will be the judge of all. But look at verse 43. Peter says, To him all the prophets bear witness. It's all been pointing to to Jesus. And what about Jesus? 
Well, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Did you hear that? That everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel, and it is all about Jesus. And it is glorious news. Jesus offers forgiveness of sins to all. And as we'll think about next week in more detail, as we kind of get part two of this passage, there is no become a Jew and then come to Jesus. No, it is simply this. Believe in Jesus. Full stop. And this is the glory of this whole chapter, I think. This message is now held out to Cornelius, a Gentile, and therefore it's being held out to you and to me this evening. You don't need to have been born into a particular family. You don't need to have been brought up in a particular way. You don't need to have a particular political viewpoint or understanding. This this evening, you simply need to come to Christ. And if you do that, here's the good news. You can receive forgiveness of your sins. And in that way, you too can know and rest and rejoice in the good news of peace from verse 36. The good news of peace, that we are no longer enemies of God, but we are at peace with him. We are no longer enemies, but each of us here in Christ, sons and daughters, welcomed into God's family, completely and perfectly acceptable to him, through the Lord Jesus. This is the best news we will ever hear. This is the greatest peace offering we will ever receive in our lives. And Cornelius, who presumably through this, well, he's been hanging, hasn't he? On Peter's every word, he is sold, isn't he? He's in. Look at at verse 44, and we see this, this simple but incredible truth that's the climax here. That Cornelius, a Gentile, believes in Jesus. Verse 44, look with me. While Peter was saying these things. See, Peter hasn't even finished. In his normal, if we've been looking in the book of Acts together, we've seen, hasn't he? There's normally a call to repentance. But it seems here that God, through his spirit, has already brought about this repentance in the hearts of all those listening. Because the rest of this verse simply says this, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Repenting of their sin and turning to Christ for forgiveness, God pours out his spirit on these Gentile believers now. And as he does that, it is like the rubber stamp that goes down. Here it is, signed, sealed, delivered. Jesus really is for all. And God confirms that, doesn't he? His spirit is poured out. Look at the reaction. We see this in the Jews, the verse 45. They're amazed. The gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out even on Gentiles. 
And just as the Spirit had caused the 12 disciples to do at Pentecost, back in Acts chapter 2, we see the same thing happening here. Verse 46, what's the response? They speak in tongues and extol God. That is, they speak and declare his mighty work. As we said, this is the rubber stamp from God, saying, yes, the gospel, Jesus is even for these Gentiles. And Peter gets it, doesn't he? What other conclusion can he reach than that to? Look at verses 47 and 48 with me as we come to the end of this passage. As we see here, Peter also concludes, Jesus must be for all. End of verse 46. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. These Gentiles, says Peter, they are just as much believers as I, a Jew, am. So they too must be baptized, just as Jesus had commanded, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is Lord of all. Jesus, who brings peace. Jesus, who gives forgiveness of sins. Jesus is for all. And he is all. And even look there how we see the outworkings of this in this final little innocuous seeming sentence. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Barriers are now completely gone. Peter now happily, doesn't he, stays with these Gentile believers, presuming receiving hospitality, enjoying fellowship with them. When even just four days previously, he wouldn't have gone through the front porch. The gospel of Jesus is for all. And because of that, it breaks down all barriers. And here we see that beginning to be worked out and lived out. So as we take a step back and begin to take in all that we've seen here in this momentous chapter, how should we respond? What does it show us and teach us for today? Well, first, I think we have to see in this chapter the wide-open invitation that it offers to each of us this evening. Remember, as we said, Luke is writing this book, his second volume to this man, Theophilus, with this aim that he may have certainty concerning the things that he's been taught. Could Theophilus, most likely this Gentile, really know the good news of peace through Jesus? Really know that with certainty? Well, we've seen this evening Luke's answer. No, actually, we've seen this evening God's answer. Yes. Yes, you too, Cornelius. Yes, you too, Theophilus. You too can know that same peace. That same forgiveness, that same hope. And that you too is for us. Just like there were no longer any cultural, religious barriers to Cornelius coming to Christ, so there are no longer any barriers for us to come to Christ. 
We can know with certainty God has opened the doorway of salvation to Christ for all, for all who will come to him. Remember how Peter put it? Verse 43, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins in his name. So if you're out there this evening and you haven't yet come to Jesus for yourself, put your trust in him, let me just encourage you, don't hold off doing that any longer. Because you too can know peace and forgiveness. You too can receive the promised Holy Spirit. There is nothing more you need this evening than Jesus. He is for all and is all. And the beauty also then on showing our passage is that if you will do that, come to Christ, that means that you can draw alongside people here, others here, who aren't from the same religious background the same ethnicity, the same race, the same nation. We don't all even necessarily speak the same language. But as we put our trust in Christ, we all become united together in him, like we see on show in our passage. So come to Christ this evening. Know the peace found in him, and then draw alongside others too. Others who have also come to know that peace. I know, though, for many of us here this evening, we have already come to know Jesus, trusted him, believed in him. So how can we respond to this passage? Well, I hope as we've been working through it, there has been an element of joy, of rejoicing that has once again been stirred up in your heart as we've seen it here. Because you can know with certainty this evening That no matter your background, Jesus came for you too. He died and was raised and there is no longer any barrier for you to try to break through in coming to him. No bolt-ons needed. You can find all you need in Jesus and Jesus alone. And God's plan, just as we see God's plan at work in Acts 10, God's plan, in his plan, he has brought you to know him just like he did for Cornelius. You are a part of God's plan. That is news for us to rejoice in this evening, to go on rejoicing in through this week. Jesus is for all and is all, and that means that Jesus really is for you this evening. He is all that you need. Just as for Cornelius, the doorway of salvation through Christ has been opened to you. Not because you deserve it, but because we have a merciful, gracious God who longs to see his son rightly exalted and honored, honored as Lord of all, honored as then Lord in our lives. And remembering and rejoicing in that personally, Let's also then go on into this week expectant. Expectant, continuing to listen to God. Listen to him for direction through his word, through the Spirit's leading and guiding. Let's go on this week expectant that just like we see this story of Cornelius coming to faith in Jesus, God is at work doing the same thing today. People around you, who God could be directing you to, 
this week. It's exciting, isn't it? To think of all that the Lord is doing. All that the Lord has done in each of our lives. And it's exciting to think ahead. In 5, 10, 15 years, who else, just like Cornelius, will he have brought to faith in Jesus? Because Jesus is for all. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious passage. Lord, we thank you for how this passage has shown us there is no barrier to coming to Christ. Lord, that he is all we need, and Lord, that he came for all. And so, Lord, for those of us who have come to know Jesus for ourselves, we rejoice. We thank you that you have, that doorway of salvation has been opened to us. And Lord, that because of that, we know now know peace and forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for that. Please, would that encourage our hearts this week? And Lord, for those here this evening or listening along, along online who don't yet know the Lord, Lord, please speak to them. Work in their hearts, even as you worked here in Cornelius' heart, to guide and lead him to be ready to hear about Christ. Lord, would they put their faith in him and likewise know peace and forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that Jesus is for all. And we thank you that he is all we need. So we come and we cling to him together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to uh, close our time uh, this evening by singing this song, His Mercy is More. This is the forgiveness of sins that we've just been talking about here. This is a glorious song that reminds us that we can come to the Lord. These wonderful words, he welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Let's come and rejoice in the Lord's goodness and his mercy to us as we sing this together.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.